Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 John, okay? Um, this morning, we're going to cover 2 John, next Sunday, 3 John, and then we're going to move into our next sermon series entitled, Standing on the Promises. But before we get started this morning, let me just remind you, I've got some good news for some of you in this room and some challenging news for others of you in this room. Next Sunday, this worship hour changes. We're going to go from 9 a.m. start time to 8.45 a.m. start time. Okay, some of you love that. Justin, I know that you don't. Others of you um, are, you know, it's a challenge for you to get here at 9. So I'm going to challenge you. Go to bed 15 minutes earlier and wake up 15 minutes earlier, and you should be here without any problem. Sunday school will begin right after this, um, so we'll go at 9.45, or 9.50 will be our growth group hour, and then um, our second worship will be at 11 o'clock. So I hope that you will um, be here for both of those next Sunday. And next Sunday also is going to be Compassion Sunday, an opportunity for us um, to, to look at ways that we can help um, children that live in poverty, help rescue some of them um, by making sure they get a good meal every day as well as get the good news. Um, so our title this morning is this, Reflect Truth and reject falsehood. Falsehood. You and I are called upon to reflect the truth of the gospel, and we are called upon also to reject falsehood. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn with me to 2 John. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 13 together. But these are the words penned by the Apostle John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from, from, the God, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or grieve him by any, any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I, want, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our own joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You know, this is the entirety of Second John. 13 verses about 
300 words is all that is in it. Most of you write longer emails every single day than this book that has been canonized and given to us to provide instruction. Am I right? I mean, most of us do that. But 2 John is a book that has been given to us, and it has been written by the Apostle John with urgency. And here's our message point this morning. It is this. We need to urgently respond to the truth. We need to urgently respond to the truth of, uh, of God's Word. Us getting what is written in this word right and applying it right to our, rightly to our lives is important, isn't it? It's essential for our spiritual growth, and it is essential for the growth of others. And that is what John is communicating this morning. He's communicating that with his readers, to, with this individual or the church that he is writing to. John writes first this morning to faithful companions. How many of you have some faithful companions of yours? How many of you have some strong, if you're a man, strong brothers in Christ that you can turn to, or if you're a woman, some strong sisters in Christ that you can turn to, to encourage you and to strengthen you and to build you up? You have those in your life? If you don't have those, you need to find them because they're important. John writes, and, uh, and, and he's writing to a faithful companion in the gospel of his, and subsequently he writes to us as well. He opens up this letter with simply communicating the elder. Okay? Now, John doesn't specifically mention himself as being the writer of 2 John, but since this um, book has begun being circulated, everyone has always associated, for the most part, John as being the writer of it. So we can trust that. John, whenever he penned this, he was probably in his early 90s. Okay, and so he writes as an elder of the church, as a leader within the church, but he also writes as an elderly man, writing to faithful servants, writing to children in the faith, and encouraging them and strengthening them um, with some encouraging words. And he's and he's and he, John is a man that has lived well. We know that he's witnessed much. And he wants desperately for his readers to walk in the truth. I hope that will be said of us one day, that we lived well, that we served well, that we walked in the truth of God's Word. I hope that is said of all of us in this room. John writes to the elect lady. Now, we have no idea who the elect lady is. Um, it, most likely, this is an individual that John wrote to. But what we know for our sake in this room this morning, it was written to us as well. It has been written to us so that we can take what is within it and apply it to our lives daily. Here's what we know. Truth matters. In verse 1, we read, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. You know, as we read through this letter, we read the words from a man who is encouraging us to take hold of the truth and to apply it to our lives, to receive it, to know it, and to guard it. You know, just this week, I was looking at a, at a news site. 
okay, and the heading um, of, of, of that um, website um, read, who is telling the truth? You know, when I read those words, I was kind of like, what does it matter who is telling the truth? Because I knew the content of the story, and I knew that the person that was being written about was guilty, and that she had done something that broke the law. And I thought to myself, what does it matter if, if, who's telling the truth? And then I, then I, then I quickly um, was kind of brought to my senses and, and remembered that truth matters, doesn't it? Us getting the truth right at all times matters. Us knowing God's Word and applying God's Word um, to our life matters. Us living truthful lives within this secular world matters as well. What John is doing is he is celebrating the faithful recipients of this letter because of their adherence to the truth. Notice next, truth transforms as well. So truth matters and truth transforms. In verses 2 and 3 we read, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. You know what truth does? Truth transforms us. At the moment of our salvation, you and I received the Holy Spirit within us. The God of the universe came and abides in us and us in him. And we see here the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. This is not a temporary um, 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 dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit doesn't come for a season and then leave from us like we often see in the Old Testament. When you read Old Testament story after Old Testament story after Old Testament story, you hear of how the Holy Spirit came upon an individual and then the Holy Spirit left that individual. The Holy Spirit came upon that individual for a season so that the glory of God could be revealed through man to other people and then the Holy Spirit often would leave. But at the moment of, of our salvation, the Holy Spirit came to eternally dwell within us. I mean, going back to the New Testament church, to the day that the, that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 gathered in the open room, in that, in that um, upper room, and the Holy Spirit came and dwelled upon those 120. They hit the streets. They presented the good news of salvation. 3,000 plus men came to know Jesus Christ on that day, and the Holy Spirit fell upon those that day that came to know faith, um, um, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And just like them, the Holy Spirit also has come upon us and the Holy Spirit transforms us. In Acts 1-8, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit came upon us, we were given power and we were given the authority that Jesus gave us to impact this world for him. And, and with that power and with that truth, we know that lives can be transformed. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son, who is the truth. And as the truth that enters into our life, Jesus transforms us, and Jesus can transform the lives of others as well. The truth can transform others. One of the key themes from John's gospel and his epistles is love. 
You and I should have a love for God, and we should have a love for others, right? This past Wednesday night, um, I, was, I was driving up here um, to the church to, um, for, for recording for our, our online um, services that we put out for, for Sunday morning. And I'd received a call a few minutes before I left the house from a young lady that and her and and her husband that visited this past Sunday morning. And um, whenever I, I talked with them after our eleven o'clock service last Sunday, um, I, I gave them my my cell number and said, "Hey, if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to call me." Well, on Wednesday night, um, she she reached out to me. And, and she, she um, had a lot of questions on, on Sunday about salvation. She had more questions on Wednesday about salvation. And, and right in our parking lot on Wednesday night, I heard her on the phone pray and repent of her sins and receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She was transformed by Jesus Christ. She entered into a personal relationship with Christ, repented of her sins, and cried out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of her life. Today, not only has the Spirit of God entered into this young lady's life, but her name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Has your name been written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Has the Holy Spirit entered into your life? Has your life been transformed by Jesus? When was the last time that you had the opportunity to see the life of another person transformed by Jesus Christ? Truth transforms us, and truth transforms others as well. Notice next, John recognizes and emphasizes the faithful walk demonstrated by these faithful companions of his. In verse 4, we read, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. The walk in biblical terms is referring to one's walk with the Lord. Our Christian walk should reflect the Lord and his word, shouldn't it? Our lives should give evidence that we are believers in Jesus Christ. Just as John did, you and I should celebrate faithfulness. In a world and during a time when there is perceivably not a lot to celebrate, let us celebrate. Let us celebrate the lives of those that we do life with who have been transformed radically by Jesus Christ. John celebrates the transference of the gospel from one generation to the next, even in the midst of great turmoil. When you think about that early church, they experienced great turmoil, great persecution. They had to oftentimes worship the Lord in, in, in secret. They had to worship the Lord away from the ears of, the, of the, the Romans and the religious leaders. And John, even in the midst of this persecution, even in the midst of, you know, of, of, of 10 of his um, colleagues, 10 of the disciples that he did life with being persecuted and dying a martyr's death, John celebrates with this elect lady and with the children of hers that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the greatest joy I have as a pastor is that both of my kids love Jesus and have placed their faith in Jesus. 
you know, they're still great sinners, okay? If you know my kids, you know that they are still sinners, okay? But they have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they have been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. When, when we look at these ladies that are, are this lady's children, we read here that, that um, John is commending she, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. You know what, notice what John doesn't say here? John doesn't say all of your children because not all of this lady's children followed after the Lord. Not all of the children within this church followed after the Lord. Okay, But John celebrates those who had entered into faith and he challenges also all of us to reach out with the gospel, to transfer the gospel from one generation to the next. You know, I know that not all of our children, not all of our grandchildren or great-grandchildren are followers after the Lord. So what do we do if our children aren't followers or grandchildren? Well, we pray for them, don't we? We encourage them. We continue to invest in them. We continue to tell them as much as we can that that. We love them and that God loves them. What do we do for those children of ours that are followers of Jesus? We rejoice and encourage them and and challenge them to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. Notice next here, we see that we are commanded to be faithful. Again in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Have you ever looked at your obedience to the Lord as a command given to you by the Lord? You know, we often go through life with a free will mentality, don't we? I have a choice to grow if I want to grow, but if I don't want to grow, I don't have to grow is kind of how we go about life. When you and I became followers in Jesus, of Jesus, our obedience was no longer a choice. We should no longer have this attitude, if I want to, I will. No, you and I should desire to be faithful because we have been commanded to be faithful, right? It's not a choice of ours to be faithful anymore. It's a command of ours to be faithful. When you look at the Great Commission, okay, it is a command of ours to go into this world and to make disciples, okay? As we go and make disciples, we should also make sure that we are being made into a disciple and radically being transformed by Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Notice next, John calls his readers to faithful service. You know, John is considered to be the apostle of love. He is called that because he wrote much about God's love, even as Bill was talking about before introducing our last song when he was making reference to to love being all through 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. John just, I mean, he was a loving man, and he wanted to express um, God's love to other people, and and we need to do that as well. Faithful, Faithful servants of the Lord demonstrate genuine love. In verse 5 we read, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Just as our faithfulness is command, so is our call to love other people. John 13, Jesus said, I had new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But 
by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is not a great suggestion. It is a great commandment that we love one another and that we reach out to one another in love. Faithful servants of the Lord live obedient lives as well. In verse 6 we read, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment just as you have heard from the beginning. So you should walk in it. When we walk in accordance with the commands of the Lord, guess what happens? When we walk in a loving way, demonstrating God's love for others, guess what happens? Lives get changed, don't they? How many of you know the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, all of us in here most likely know the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan um, begins where a lawyer asks Jesus a question. And he wants to know how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus spoke these words to him in Luke chapter 10, verses 26 through 28. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes and begins to share the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says that one day there was a man that was walking between Jerusalem and and Jericho. And as he's walking along the road, he was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And as this man is, 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 is laying on the side of the road, he says that a priest begins to walk down the road. And this priest takes a look at that man that is perceivably right in front of him. And what does this priest do? He walks to the other side of the road, and then he keeps on going and lets this man that's lying dead, half dead on the road, leaves him laying there. And then Jesus goes on to say that another man begins to walk down the road, a Levite. And this Levite, as he's walking down the road, also um, practically stumbles upon this man. And what does that Levite do? He goes to the other side of the road and he walks right on by that man. And then Jesus says that there's a third man that comes down the road. And this is a Samaritan, a dreaded, dreadful Samaritan that isn't liked by any Jew. And what does this Samaritan do? Well, this Samaritan gets down on his hands and knees perceivably, and he begins to mend the womb of this man that is left for dead. He picks him up, places him on his animal, is what Scripture says, most likely probably upon his donkey, and carries him into town and, and um, puts him up in an inn and tells the innkeeper, take care of him. And when I come back through, if I owe you more money, I will pay you more money. You know, as we read through that story, we come to the end in Luke 10, 36 to 37. Jesus spoke these words. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What a glorious picture of love. This is the kind of love that we should have for other people. Did you notice the two people that walked right on by this man? The priest and the Levite. Two men 
that have been set apart by God to do the work of God are the two that walked right on by. You know, if you and I are not careful as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be just like this priest and just like this Levite and keep our eyes fixed upon whatever it is that we are looking at on the horizon and pass right on by someone that is in need of being healed physically and somebody that is in need of being healed spiritually. We have been called and set apart to love others. We see here our final instruction. It is this. We are given faithful, we are, John um, gives faithful instructions here. You know, I don't know about you, but I am grateful for the Word of God. I am grateful that the Lord has given it to us for our instruction. This Word provides for us instructions for growth. What does 2 Peter 3, um, 18 say? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This has been given to us so that we can grow closer to the Lord. What else comes from God's Word? A warning, right? A warning to be on our guard. A warning, um, just this morning I was talking with, with Carmen out in the, in the lobby, and we were talking about um, the, the full armor of God and the need to put on the full armor of God. Because the devil, what's the devil going to do? The devil is going to fire those fiery darts our way. And if we aren't armored up, those darts are going to penetrate right through us. So we need to put on the full armor of God. So this word right here has been given to us for our growth, for our instruction as well. There is warning after warning in it of things not to do. So we see here the first instruction John gives us is to avoid falsehood. In verses 7 and 8 we read, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now John has spent much time. We have spent much time throughout this summer talking about these false teachers, talking about the Antichrist plural. Okay, the Antichrist plural are those false teachers that go out in name only of Jesus, but they preach a false narrative. They don't preach the true way of salvation. They preach their, their convoluted ways is what they do. And then um, we looked at several weeks ago the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be the one supreme leader that is going to lead the armies of this world into the fi final battle of Armageddon. This is going to be the most despicable man to ever walk the face of this earth. And so we looked at this throughout this summer. We looked at these false teachers. And what John is saying again to this lady, again to us, is to be on our guard because there are false teachers out there teaching a false narrative, trying to get us to conform um, our ways and, 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 and maybe even take the easy way or the easy road to salvation. But Jesus makes it clear there is no easy road, right? There is not an easy road. The wide road leads to hell. The narrow road leads to Jesus. We need to avoid falsehood. We also are called here to reflect Christ. In verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Our reflection of Christ gives evidence of the transformation that has taken place in us. You know, 
a good representation of a Christian is not the person that walks right on by. Good representation of a Christian is the one that gets down and helps out a person that is in need. That's what it looks like. Um, that's what the life of someone that has been transformed by Jesus Christ looks like. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives post-Christ should not reflect the ways of this world, but the ways of the Lord, right? We shouldn't reflect the ways of this world anymore. We should reflect the ways of the Lord. So here's what we know. We are to avoid falsehood, and we are to reflect Christ. And notice the final thing here is we, to, we are to um, avoid compromise. In verses 10 and 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. Okay, so here's probably what happened. Okay, there were probably um, a lot of false teachers that were making their rounds throughout communities. And they knew the difference between the home of someone who was a Christ follower and the home of someone who was not a Christ follower. And so this elect lady most likely um, either had or, or was in danger of opening up her home to some of these false teachers. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with opening up our homes to people. We're, we're called to be hospitable, aren't we? We're, we're called to, to help out our brothers and sisters um, or even the lost. You remember back in the day when um, revivalists would come to a church, that revival pastor? And oftentimes, instead of that revival pastor being put up in a hotel, they would be put up in a church member's home. Why would they be put up in a church member home? So that they could receive warm meals, there could be good fellowship, they could be given a comfy bed to rest their heads. Well, um, unfortunately, we've all heard um, horror stories of the house, house guests gone bad. We've heard of the preacher gone bad as well. You know, sometimes these um, religious leaders that enter into our home uh, may not come with the best of intentions. We have the best of intentions when we open up our homes to them, but they don't have the best of intentions when they walk into our homes. And so what John is doing here, you know, the best way to describe this is John um, is making it clear that all of us have doors to our homes. All of those doors have hinges, don't they? That hinge opens up wide and lets people in. That hinge also will close that door to keep people from being in there. And not only does that door have hinges, but most of our doors have locks, right? What do those locks do? Those locks protect the inhabitants in that home. Those locks help us sleep better at night. You and I need to realize that we need to open up our home so that the discipleship can happen, so that that life can occur, so that we can present the gospel to people in our home. But we also need to open up our home 
realizing that there's some snakes in this world that are trying to get into our home. And when they get into that home, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get us to conform to their way of thinking. So John is saying here, avoid compromise. Be hospitable, but be on your guard as you're hospitable and to whom you're hospitable to, because there are snakes that are in this world. As believers in Jesus Christ, you and I need to reflect truth and reject falsehood. Do you know the truth this morning? Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? If you don't, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us remember in closing this morning that the truth matters, truth transforms. You and I need to celebrate faithfulness. We need to love others sacrificially. We need to avoid falsehood, reflect Christ, and avoid compromise. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you, Father, for the truth of your word, thanking you for the apostle John. Lord, we know that this man wrote much, He saw much. He experienced much. He was persecuted much, beaten much, left for dead himself. But he loved others well. Father, may all of us in this room love others well. May we reach out to others in the name of Jesus and encourage them also to walk with you. Encourage them to repent of their sins and enter into a relationship with you. Father, I pray now as we enter into this time of invitation that if there is a decision to be made, that you will draw people to follow after you and respond to you as you would lead. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If there's a decision that you need to make, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I would love to um, share with you if you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus, how you can do that. I'd love to share with you also um, if the Lord's leading you to make Friendship your church home for you to do that as well. But let's sing together.